Hi, this is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Nation Tsunami podcast. We are offering three separate conversations from Wednesday night's episode, Magnetic Resonance Elastography Predicts Prognosis for Nash Patients. Because of some scheduling challenges, Stephen Harrison participated in this episode through a next-day one-on-one discussion with me. Listen as Stephen discusses why this article is so important and what it suggests about possible future directions for clinical trials. Then Lena Allen joined me once more to discuss what fibrosis scores and MREKPAs might teach us about the ideal strategy for diagnosing, staging, counseling, and prescribing for NASH patients both before cirrhosis and in compensated cirrhosis. Together, these two brief interviews present an exciting, nuanced, upbeat view for the coming era of NASH drug development. You'll want to hear it. So sit back, listen, enjoy, learn, and when you're done, join the conversation on our LinkedIn and Facebook discussion group. Every week, a global community of fatty liver disease stakeholders comes together to explore the most important challenges in diagnosing, treating, and developing medications for patients with fatty liver diseases. Join hepatology researcher and key opinion leader Dr. Stephen Harrison, liver wellness advocate Louise Campbell, pricing and forecasting guru Roger Green, and this week's guest, hepatologist and hepatology researcher Dr. Alina Allen of the Mayo Clinic, as they discuss Dr. Allen's recent groundbreaking paper on using MRL elastography to predict disease progression in cirrhotic and non-cirrhotic patients this week on the Surfing the Nash Tsunami podcast. So as promised, I have Stephen Harrison with me now. Good morning, Stephen. Hey, good morning, Roger. So Stephen, let's take the next 15 minutes for you to comment on the paper itself and on the transcript from yesterday's discussion between Alina, Louise, and me. Let's start on the paper. I'm wondering what reactions in general you've got around the subject of the paper itself and the study and how it was conducted and what it tells us. Thanks, Roger. This is an exciting study. It's a really a seminal paper that Alina and her group published out of Mayo in Clinical Gastroenterology and Hepatology. There are papers that define each and every one of us that build a career in academic medicine. I can look back on a couple of mine and I feel like they, they either framed the work that I subsequently did or they generated more questions than answers and that allowed me to focus effort to begin to tease apart those questions and unpack what I discovered early on. In my life, that I can point to my epidemiology paper published in Gastro in you know, the early 2010s, 2011 timeframe. I think very similarly about Alina and this paper, it really for the first time showed the impact of MRE on NASH. And when you read the paper, you can begin to unpack it and run to ground all the potential future trials that could be generated from this initial set of data that Alina and her team generated. You know, it's not every day you have 800 longitudinal MR elastographies to evaluate. And I think she's done a fantastic job of looking at the data and pointing out where MR elastography has the potential to be a game changer in understanding the natural history of disease, whether it's non-serotics or serotics, and helping us to design clinical trials with novel pharmaceuticals to address the unmet need of both non-serotic NASH and serotic NASH. And then finally, the context of use of the long-term outcome benefit or the long-term outcome of patients with NASH using MRE is another wide open area for research and gives great hope 
to understanding this disease better. So I think it's phenomenal. I think I think it's literally a Pandora's box of opportunity for her and for others to take this foundational paper and blow it up for all the potential that MR elastography has in the field of NASH. So where she chose to focus, right, in the discussion yesterday, certainly with the non-serotics, was on what it means in terms of treating patients and efficient use of screening criteria. Right. How, if, if I know what your MRE is, I know how often I have to screen you again. And then in terms of cirrhotics, she was talking largely about enriching clinical trials. When you say Pandora's box, can you paint a picture of one or two of the kinds of studies that you think can be done better because we know what we learned in this paper? Well, to do that, I think we need to talk about the limitations of the current clinical trials. And to me, when I've looked at MR elastography in the setting of a non-serotic trial, it's really been its ability to help screen patients for at-risk NASH. And whether it was uh, Mazen, Nareedin, Rohit Lumba, Alina Allen, others that have looked at this, what what we have come to realize, and I think Alina mentioned this in her paper, is a normal MR elastography is two to two and a half. Between two and a half and three, we're dealing in the world of fatty liver with some inflammation, but probably not bona fide NASH as we describe it histopathologically. And then an MR elastography above three would be in the NASH range with some degree of fibrosis. And then between three and five, you kind of carve out the F1 to F3s. And I think that's really the biggest area of question around MR elastography is what's an F1, what's an F2, and what's an F3. I think we we don't have enough granular detail with MR elastography to be able to pigeonhole those different stages out. And then F4, you know, would be five or more. So I, I think liver biopsy is unfortunately not the ideal test to diagnose NASH, but that's that's where we are with the FDA because we have to have NASH resolution or fibrosis improvement to achieve subpart H approval. So where I see MRE and non-serotic NASH is helping us get to the point where we can get away from liver biopsy, both as an endpoint and as an entry point. And we have more data to support MRE for the entry point, defining the at-risk NASH patient. Where we still need to go with MRE and non-serotic NASH is understanding what improvement in MRE is relative to fibrosis improvement in NASH resolution. I think her paper gives us the first start at that, but there is more work that needs to be done to understand how MRE can be implemented as an endpoint in these non-serotic trials. That will likely come with the advent and augmentation of histopathology looked at from an artificial intelligence perspective or a fully quantitative assessment of, say, collagen fibrosis, and then looking at that MRE and correlating the percent change in MRE as it relates to the percent change in collagen content. Then I think we're off to the next step of using MRE as an endpoint in the setting of non-serotic NASH, where I think MRE has the ability and the opportunity to advance the field of drug development now is in the setting of cirrhotic NASH. And so let me unpack that. From Alina's paper, we know that the higher the KPA, the greater 
the probability of decompensating over time in a cirrhotic population. And I'm defining that by MRE greater than five, five or greater. So currently, the FDA is kind of revising their guidelines on cirrhotic NASH endpoints. But but let's just assume that cirrhotic NASH endpoint is, is a liver-related outcome, decompensation, death, transplant, increase in the MELD score, that sort of thing. Where I think the novel opportunity for MRE would be is let's let's do it design a cirrhotic trial with a drug we think is going to move the needle in cirrhosis. Let's enroll the population where we have a cohort of patients that require liver biopsy showing NASH and fibrosis to get in, but we also obtain an MR elastography at baseline. Not an inclusion requirement. It's just something we do at baseline. You treat those patients over time, and depending on the efficacy of the drug, it could be nine months, could be a year, it could be 18 months. I do think there are some drugs that can move the needle relatively quickly and don't require a year of therapy to do so. I've yet to be proven right in that, but I, I think that's where we're headed. And then you do the liver biopsy at the end of that time period. And, you know, you're looking for histopathologic improvement regression of cirrhosis to F3 or 2 maybe even F1, if I could say that without uh, being mocked. Um, we get an MRE along the way, and then we get artificial intelligence to evaluate that biopsy on a fully quantitative scale, and then we compare that to the change we see in MR elastography. Those patients continue onward to an outcome endpoint, so they won't just stop with a biopsy, but we continue to follow those patients for, for an outcome. And, and where we see a change of at least one KPA in MR elastography, and we see less outcome, I think that could be incredibly impactful. Now, let's back up to the beginning. Let's take a cohort that only requires an MRE of greater than five to get into the trial. No biopsy, just an MRE. You follow those people over the same period of time. You repeat the MRE at that endpoint of nine months, a year, 18 months, just like you did the liver biopsy, but you're only doing an MRE. And then you follow those people out to outcomes where you repeat the MRE. And so now you've got an arm that's just getting MR elastography. You're comparing it in the same study to an arm that's getting MR elastography and liver biopsy. And that biopsy is be fu being fully quantitatively assessed by AI. And you have outcome data. I think that's the perfect trial to allow us to pivot away from biopsy to MR elastography. And, and I think that opportunity is much more likely to be achieved in a cirrhotic trial than in a non-cirrhotic trial. All that makes sense to me. Yeah. And I think this tool gives us a tremendous opportunity to take what has historically been a population of patients that have otherwise been left behind and leapfrog them into the lead on drug development for NASH. So I do have a couple of questions, and I'm going to come back to your thought about leapfrogging in just a sec, all right? The comment that you made that struck me the most forcefully, two of them together, wind up speaking to the interplay of quantification of biopsy and use of MRE, at least as a midpoint along the way to where we're going, right? Because if we know that an MRE of uh, 3 to 5 kPa suggests a problem for non-serotic patients, but we can't stage the fibrosis, according to MRE, at least not at this moment, there are two possibilities. Number one is we simply haven't done it yet. And the second one is that in non-serotic patients, fibrosis level and rate of progression to cirrhosis might be two different dimensions that might be correlated somewhat or maybe even not correlated much. And that we need to capture the two of those separately in order to understand the real dynamic of the non-serotic disease. That's just me as a statistician with no data, but construct. Is that a reasonable 
possibility, a reasonable expectation, or totally off the wall as you see it? No, that's that's very reasonable. You know that. The non-serotic NASH, while they're being, the studies are a lot more prolific, many more drugs are being assessed for non-serotic NASH than for serotic NASH. It, it is a more complicated story to, to sort out because of the complexity of the heterogeneity of liver tissue, sampling variability, inter-observer variability for pathologists interpreting the data. It's, it's a more... It's more challenging. It requires more patience. It requires very effective drugs. And it requires the sponsor's willingness to do MRE as well as these other non-invasive tests, as well as assessing collagen and the components of the NAFLD activity score fully quantitatively. So it's laborious, it's expensive, it's complicated. And at the end of the day, it's going to take a lot of work to overcome the problems that we have with the current, our current way of evaluating this disease as far as whether they're improving or they're not improving. I did want to make a comment about cirrhotics before, before I have to jump off. And, and, and that is when we think about developing a drug in the setting of cirrhosis, we have to be very careful that we're targeting the right population of cirrhotics. We, we don't want to put our patients at risk, at undue risk. Uh, we've learned that the hard way through other trials and maybe different disease states. So that's one is, you know, at what point does liver function decline to the point where our drugs are no longer beneficial and potentially become harmful? And the, the paradox to that is if our endpoint is based on decompensation, some sort of liver-related outcome, that that's the population you want to study is the really, really sick population, but that's really not the population you want to study for improvement of disease with a drug. So that's the dilemma, right? Ideally, I would design a trial where I took a NASH cirrhotic that had an MR elastography of five. When you look at Elena's paper, you're going to have to have a significantly larger cohort of patients to follow over time to identify the decompensating placebo group. Whereas if I took a MRE of eight, for instance, I wouldn't need as many people nor as long a time to show that those patients are decompensating. So there's a sweet spot there. You know, what's the right number to enroll on a KPA to give us the best shot on goal of having efficacy of a drug relative to placebo, whether we look at regression of fibrosis or we look at lower, a fewer number of outcomes, but at the same time, managing the safety and the tolerability of that drug in that patient population. That's something we're going to have to, to sort out, I think, in the, in the next year to year and a half, is what's the ideal population to study? Whether you use liver biopsy or you use MR elastography, my guess is MR elastography will give us the opportunity to answer that question much more quickly than if we did not have MR elastography. And it's through work that Alina is doing that's really pioneering that opportunity for those of us on the clinical trial front to take her work and apply it very pragmatically to a design of a clinical trial that will allow us to move away from liver biopsy and find drugs that are effective for this patient population. So I'm back with Alina Allen, who was gracious enough to give us a little bit more time after we spoke with Stephen. You know, uh, the, the phrase Stephen used to describe 
the results of your paper was to open a Pandora's box of questions and to create a whole breadth of new opportunities for research and for consideration and all that. So I think now we're simply talking about how we frame the questions, not what we think the answers will be. And I, I take your point. As we actually start to get drugs into the market, in fact, I think risk certification becomes key. When agents become available, it is likely that payers will want some guidance given how few patients progress over a one or a three-year period as which patients are at greater risk of progression. And we've currently said fibrosis level, but that feels like a pretty blunt instrument. I'm wondering whether there's any way to use that to start to risk stratify maybe a little more precisely than we can do with a um, biopsy score today. Again, totally hypothetical question. I know the work hasn't been done. The question really is, does that make sense at all? Yes, very good question. And, and you know, strong argument. How how do we choose which of non-serotics should should be treated? I, I think there is an opportunity to to first look into what else the liver tells us, and I think the the stiffness is one of them. It doesn't measure fibrosis necessarily; it's a surrogate. But other things that increase the, the stiffness or decrease it would be inflammation. So, as a NASH or inflammation specific drugs will be on the market, that would be another thing to consider. We won't necessarily know that. That, let's say a, a, a liver stiffness of 3.5 decreases to a 3, that's necessarily because of one fibrosis stage decrease. Maybe it is inflammation. So a lot more work needs to be done in, in those non-serotic people, knowing that LSM or liver stiffness doesn't equal fibrosis always. So that's the first point I want to make. We are actually working in this field as well, and we have shown that by tweaking these uh, data that we can get from MRE, we can incorporate them in an algorithm that uses this conventional MRE even, and this is data we're validating now, to give us a probability of NASH. So in my view, in my pie-in-the-sky ideal world, the way I see the use of MRE in these non-serotic people in clinical trials who will need longitudinal follow-up for, for treatment response is a an output of MRE that tells you how did the PDFF change? So did the steatosis improve? What happened to the liver stiffness knowing that this may mean fibrosis? improvement or a resolution of NASH or improvement of NASH. And then the other number we're working on is a probability of NASH. So if you start with a probability of NASH of 90% and in follow-up after treatment, uh, that came down to 40%, let's say, even if the liver stiffness hasn't decreased by much, you know that that inflammation is starting to increase. That's a big win. Uh, we're actually taking this further into trying to predict the NAS score, which is kind of a virtual biopsy type of follow-up. Up. So if you can imagine this this beautiful output that says PDFF uh, improvement, NASH probability improvement, NAS score improvement, and then the liver stiffness measurement, this is what we're trying to strive towards. And in the pre-serotic arena, this is how I would envision the ideal MRE-based biomarker response. Should we be able to combine this with blood biomarker? Absolutely. So again, more work needs to be done in these upcoming clinical trials to pair as many together to see what is the best answer. And how can we move away from biopsy to have a good non-invasive test to know over the years what happens to that patient? That's fantastic. I'll reveal myself as a fanboy and I'll say, very cool. Is there an AI role in, what, in, in getting to the place you're envisioning or is it likely to be available simply by combining enough of the non-invasive tests and conventional biopsy such as it is? Yes. If we refer to AI as the histologic AI, so how do we best use the, that piece of liver tissue that we get, there's absolutely a role 
there into getting more information, right? There's a lot of promising data to show that we can maybe get more information from that. It doesn't, unfortunately, take the need of a biopsy. That's the only limitation of that. We will still need a piece of tissue, which is a very small window into what's happening into the liver, which, you know, is, is heterogeneously affected by this disease. So as long as that limitation will be always there, that will always stay in a limitation with AI. Maybe this is why other biomarkers such as imaging or blood tests that don't really rely on that very small piece of tissue will be at least complementary, if not better. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. We are releasing two other conversations from this episode. Please join the ongoing dialogue on our LinkedIn and Facebook discussion groups. We will release our next episode on Wednesday, April 14th, when we preview the fourth Global Nash Congress. I hope you'll join us then. Until then, stay safe and see you on the podcast or in the conversation groups. Bye-bye now.